Welcome everybody, episode 54 of Martinis with Scott here on April Fool's Day, and this is no fool, no joke, can't trust, Holdings seeks bankruptcy protection. Yesterday, uh, CCAA filing in Canada uh, for you uh, US or international folks, uh, CCAA Companies Creditor Arrangement Act um, is a Company Creditors Arrangement Act is uh, very similar to Chapter 11 in the U.S., so it's uh, seeking bankruptcy protection, asking for the, uh, the court to help restructure the company. Now, I'm going to, first of all, this is going to be fun to talk about this and, and not talk about COVID-19 today because that's just been an ongoing depressing subject. Um, and I'm going to spend this entire show working very hard not to say the words, I told you so. It'll be tough. It'll be very difficult for me to not say I told you so when it comes to the bankruptcy of CanTrust, but I'm going to give it a shot. And in all seriousness, um, I, this is not a very interesting story anymore. We covered CanTrust Holdings a lot in June, July, August 2019. In fact, into the fall and even into um, probably into January, we did a show or two, I don't recall, about CanTrust uh, because it's a great story. Uh, an epic story of fraud and criminal behavior and terrible, terrible turnaround uh, strategy and skills that we could learn a lot from, which is why we covered it uh, on the Martinez Scott channel. But um, now that it's gone bankrupt into bankruptcy protection, it, uh, you know, unless you're in a solvency walk, uh, which I am a little bit, because I'm going to spend about... Uh, I could have spent hours this evening reading about 300 pages of materials learning about the CanTrust filing and insolvency because for me, it's not only uh, interesting, I like the space, but there's a lot of uh, a lot of things I can learn from doing that to help my business. You know, there's CRO engagement letters, there's uh, cash flow templates, there's uh, how they structure administrative charges and all that sort of stuff, which, you know, I'm not an insolvency lawyer and we don't do insolvency work, uh, although we use it as a tool. Uh, so I'm not on it day to day like the other accountants and the lawyers are and that sort of stuff. So uh, good for me to read through this publicly available information and stay current. But for listeners, you know, it's probably not a very interesting story to learn from about winning at the business, winning at business at this point now that they filed for insolvency. But there's no way we can't cover the death of this thing on Martinis with Scott because we've spent so much time uh, following the fascinating uh, downward journey uh, of, of CanTrust. And so just to close off the loop on this for now, unless something interesting happens, we'll do it on the show on it. Um, uh, to close off the loop, I just thought I'd do this quick show today. So uh, for those of you that haven't followed uh, the CanTrust story, have no idea what I'm talking about, just go back and research it. Look at some past shows on Martini with Scott uh, you can you can go and, and find that it's a cannabis company uh, in in Canada uh, where they you know had the greatest shareholder value uh, from a, the greatest industry from a shareholder value perspective uh, compared to the U.S. for example or anywhere else in the world. So it's what they call an LP, a uh, licensed producer of cannabis with a greenhouse, uh, had over a billion dollar market cap, and in July August uh, probably I think early July 2019. Health Canada, the, the sole regulator for the licensing of legal, medical, and recreational cannabis in Canada, suspended their license or put them on hold initially 
because it was discovered there was an illegal grow of cannabis. Um, and there was a whistleblower that brought this to their attention. They were accused, and I think it's just admitted fact at this point, that they literally built a, a false wall uh, so that when the regulars came in and did their audit, you know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't see that. And then behind that was a bunch of cannabis plants growing. And then it was blamed on a couple of people at the company and the rest of the company said, hey, not me, it wasn't me. I don't like uh, like Shaggy. Wasn't me. I don't know. Uh, I don't know anything about this. And so, over a billion dollars of market cap, I think it's safe to say, is pretty much zero today. Uh, multiple class action suits. They had when this came out, they had really just listed on the New York Stock Exchange. They did a bunch of raise of capital. So there's uh, there's all sorts of class action suits from uh, from shareholders in both Canada, in the U.S. Um, securities investigations. Uh, police uh, criminal investigations. Uh, it turns out that the executives and the chairman, I, I think the CEO and chairman, don't hold me to this, but I think the CEO and chairman of the company, not only this came out in July 2019, but they knew about it last October, November, December 2018, and just continued on with it. But they traded, they traded away a bunch of stock when the prices were high at like uh, $5, $7. I forget what the numbers were. You can go back and check that for me. And, uh, you know, of course, today we're 90 cents, except we're ceased traded and we're worth zero. Um, so there was a bunch of insider trading based on that knowledge. Uh, all of the revenue went to zero because, you know, it was a legal product and, and uh, that affects their distribution channels, right? So that's all sort of happened in July, August, uh, a little bit into the fall of 2019. And we did a show on it because I'm heavy into the cannabis space. Um, there's a lot of interest. You guys want to hear about the cannabis space. Sinclair Range has a, a decent footprint in that space. I'm in fact uh, president of the U.S. of, of uh, on the hemp processing side. Uh, so and, and I've done a bunch of work in Canada, of course, in cannabis as well. So I so I know the space, and we and um, and I'm an expert uh, in companies in transition and high growth, how to grow a company and how to do a turnaround. And as you know, on this channel, I. On these shows, I talk about that a lot. And uh, Can't Trust was just the most glaring example of what not to do that we could draw lots of lessons from and talk about. So so that's what we did. And, and a couple of things that we decided not to do in a crisis. Don't forget, in, in, this is COVID-19 uh, time. We're in a crisis. I've been shooting shows every day. It doesn't always come on Martinis with Scott. We do some other uh, shows on uh Instagram for Roofers World. I have a written blog on SinclairRange.com that kicks into my LinkedIn. You can go check that out there. So every day I'm putting out content and, um, you know, a couple times, three times a week that gets on Martinis with Scott. And, and I'm talking about the COVID crisis, the things that you can do in a crisis and the importance of maintaining, maintaining momentum. Well, uh, you know, Kentrust was in a crisis and they did nothing to kickstart momentum. They came out with a message uh, repeatedly to this day. It's in the filings, in the CCAA filings. It doesn't say they have a plan, and here's what it is. It says, uh, we, we're planning to make a plan, right? And they just continue to say that for nine months to a year now. They've never really established or acknowledged the extent of the problem of the shit that they're in. And, you know, they used to say things in their press releases like, well, we need to train our people better, as if training people better um, and having better compliance guidelines would stop people from building a false wall and growing illegal plants behind that false wall so that they can, you know, 
so that they can avoid the regulators, grow more product than they're supposed to, and increase their revenue and trade uh, insider shares based on the increased shareholder value. It's not training that's going to put a stop to that. It's integrity. Anyways, uh, what else did they do on the turnaround? They didn't get rid of the bad guys. You know, they fired the CEO and the chairman, maybe somebody else, a couple of people resigned, but you know, the entire board of directors apart from the chairman and the CEO, uh, who I think was on the board, uh, the entire board of directors remained. In fact, one of them took over as the interim CEO, CEO to do the turnaround, right? And these were people that were there when the alleged crime, um, or at least the illegal grow for sure, happened. They had one greenhouse. Like, it's not like these directors didn't know about it. And if they didn't know about it, it's because they didn't drive an hour and a half down the highway to where the greenhouse was and check it out. Uh, so they should have cleaned house. They didn't. Instead, what did they do is they sat around and sucked fees uh, and cash out of this company because it had a bunch of, of money before. And now it has a lot less. I think as the time of the filing, I'll get to it down below, but $135 million or something. And I forget what they had before, maybe uh, maybe $160 million. Uh, or 200 million, somewhere in that range, a lot more. And of course, what directors and executives, key executives do in these situations is they say, oh my goodness, we're at risk. Uh, we need a bunch of more money uh, to go into our pocket. Well, we sit around and do nothing for shareholders uh, and, and all the cash of companies like this just gets sucked out. That's not necessarily a can trust comment because I haven't gone back uh, to do the math and to reconcile that. But that's what happens in most of these situations, a lot of these situations. And, and you know, if I were to go back and do the math on this one, I'd be shocked, completely shocked if that's not what was going on here. And I'll talk about that a bit more uh, in a minute. So we did these shows and we talked about what not to do to turn around. And, and uh, I gave you a bunch of predictions because I think it's important to know that you can review companies and invest in companies and run your own company and, and learn from these lessons that you know you can you can that management matters and momentum matters and positivity matters and positivity is not just hey hey I'm positive positivity is working towards your aim every day even while all these fires are going around you. And we've shot a couple of shows of that. And I'll just, you know, as long as I'm creating this content for you, I'll be talking about momentum and I'll be talking about uh, positivity and direction, positive direction as the key to managing a business through a transition. Uh, so here are a bunch of predictions that I gave you just off the top of my head. I haven't gone back to audit these, but I know for a fact that these were some of the predictions that I gave you. And I said, number one, uh, well, these are in no particular order, but one prediction I gave you was that uh, this idea of that, that they hired, uh, they set up a special committee and hired an investment banker uh, to review strategic alternatives uh, was complete BS because there were no strategic alternatives. Uh, it was uh, smoke and mirrors and, and it remains smoke and mirrors and BS today. It's right in their filing that they just want more time to review their strategic uh, alternatives. It's been nine months. And, you know, it could have taken maybe an hour to figure out what the alternatives are. That was just always a complete BS. Sorry, let me turn the volume off on that. Uh, a complete BS statement and an illusion to make you think something was going on. I predicted that management will never regain its credibility because they're not coming clean. 
it, it feels like a month ago, like four weeks ago, maybe six weeks ago, they told us they would finish their or release their audited financial statements so that they're, they're in compliance with their regulatory reporting so that they're not delisted from uh, the Toronto Stock Exchange or the New York Stock Exchange. They told us everything was going to happen. I predicted something different. Uh, well, I predicted there would be no financial statements. I'll talk about that in a second. But in terms of regaining credibility, uh, you know, it's just been lie after lie from this management team. And uh, it's right in their filings today or yesterday that the applicants, that's, that's Cantrust, have determined that directing further time or resources to securities reporting is not appropriate in the circumstances. They're just not going to do it. They're just not going to do it. Do you think they knew that four weeks ago or six weeks ago? Of course they did. They lied to shareholders. They don't have no credibility. I think that was a decent prediction. Uh, I told you there'd never be a plan to fix the problem because they don't have a turnaround leader. Uh, they had a plan to plan, but they never delivered a plan. They never delivered a direction. They never. How do you have momentum and direction if you don't say, here's what I want to go? Yeah, on the podcast, I'm doing the same thing I always do, holding my hands out so you can't see it. But you have an aim. You work towards it. And maybe tomorrow you say, you know what? Things are moving so quickly here. My aim is wrong. Well, you change your aim. And then you move towards that. But if you never have an aim, there's nowhere to go. And what this company did is it just simply told you over and over, they're working on a plan. They're reviewing their alternatives, their alternatives, their strategic uh, review. And... Um, and uh, they never came up with a plan. Again, nine months uh, over a year since they knew about the issue and nine months since they were caught by Health Canada. I predicted there would be no financial statements, that there was no way KPMG was going to sign off on audited statements. There was no way they were going to resign because they want a seat at the table given the class action suits. And so this just wasn't going to happen. Uh, and that's turned out true. Uh, I predicted that Health Canada would uh, not be rushing to reinstate their licenses. Why would they? In fact, I suggested that they might not respond at all. And, you know, I don't know how to prove whether we were successful on that prediction or not. But the reality is the company submitted a bunch of materials, they claim, to Health Canada. We haven't heard the response out of that. And I wonder, is Health, Health Canada going to grant a license to a company that just filed bankruptcy? Is liquidity and uh, is, is liquidity and the health of the company uh, going to have any influence at all on Health Canada's decision to issue or reissue a license? Probably, right? So <clears throat> um, I think we're looking pretty good that the license is not coming anytime soon. Even if Health Canada did reinstate the license, I predicted no one would care other than retail investors. So my expectation, and we, you know, we'll see if this ever happens. My expectation is you would have a small bump in the stock because people would get excited. But you just got to think about the reality of this industry. It's changed. You know, when, when Cantrust had a billion dollar market cap, that already had, there was already a hit in the industry and now it's just gotten much, much worse. There's a gross oversupply of product. Um, why would anybody need Cantrust's product into the marketplace? Uh, I predicted that the company would, for you, the company would go bankrupt. Uh, it filed yesterday. I predicted the stock would trend to zero. I uh, openly told you I've been short on this thing since June, July. And so I would say, on the surface uh, that I'm looking pretty good on those predictions. <clears throat> so that being said, what's gonna happen now? 
so bankruptcy, bankruptcy protection of any form, whether that be you know, Chapter 11, a CCAA in Canada, a notice of intent to file a proposal in Canada, any real form of bankruptcy protection, if you take a step back, is an effort by the company to go to the court and say, hey judge, what I'd like you to do is put a stop to all of these fires going on. I've got battles all over the place. I got multiple negotiations, like maybe hundreds or thousands of simultaneous negotiations. I'm in different jurisdictions. I gotta have a lawyer in this court, in this court, in that court, all over the place. And I, I just can't physically do it and I can't afford to do it. So I want you to consolidate, help me, consolidate all of these battles into your courtroom, into one big war, and let us fight it out with your guidance. And let's see if we can maximize the value for every stakeholder in the capital stack. You know, the, the regulators, the police, the, um, uh, the, uh, the health authorities, uh, the secured creditors, if there are any, the unsecured creditors, the directors, the professionals, like we all, the, um, the contingent liabilities in the class action lawsuits, we all need to sort it out, okay? And that's what bankruptcy protection is. And, and it's gonna take as long as it's gonna take. And in this case, it's gonna take a long time because there's a lot of uh, class action suits uh, that need to be sorted out as to who ranks where, who's gonna lead that. There's just gonna be a big sucking at the trough, as it were, on this company. And there's a lot of cash. Well, not a lot, but there's enough cash that it keeps everybody interested. Nobody wants to put a stop to it. They're gonna keep fighting it out until they're done sucking it dry. That's what happens in these situations. You want a prediction? That's what it's gonna be. It takes the value, um, so what bankruptcy protection does, is it takes the value of the company, um, which in the case of CanTrust uh, is the cash, right? They also have a greenhouse. They've got some other short-term investments. I have no idea what they are. I haven't spent a bunch of time analyzing this, but what they do have at the time of the filing is $134 million Canadian in cash. And what they're going to do with that cash is they're going to is they're going to take it first and they're going to pay it to the professionals that are doing the CCAA work. That's the lawyers and the accountants and the CRO. And they're going to take a charge and put money aside for the directors, right? Remember, I told you the directors are sitting around taking pay out of this. I haven't gone back to look at it, but that's what happens on these files. So the professionals are budgeted budgeted uh, in this filing for Candrust at $3.5 million in fees for the first three months. So they file what's called a 13-week cash flow, which is basically three months. And, and in that, if you look at the professional's fees related to the filing alone, not related to anything else, it comes out to about, well, not about, it comes out to $3.5 million. I promise you that cash flow uh, is light, that, that magically these professional fees are gonna be a lot more than that. In addition to the $3.5 million in professional fees in three months, don't forget, this thing's gonna go on for six months, nine months, a long time, okay? I expect. Uh, and so the professional fees will drag out, but that's the first three months. In addition to that, they have a $3.7 million or an expected $3.7 million charge for director fees. So these are your directors and they wanna be paid uh, and, and some other key employees. And so you set aside out of the cash that exists today, 3.7 million for them. All right, so now we're, 
Well, now we're well over $7 million out of your $134 million, and that only, for the professionals, only deals with three months worth of professional fees. So how long is your $134 million going to last at that rate? In the first three months, according to the 13-week cash flow, there's total expenditures out the door. By the way, there's no revenue. So every expenditure is a, just a one-for-one one loss of cash of $22.7 million in the first three months of this alone. Okay, $22.7 million out of the $134 million that they have. If it drags on for six, nine months, uh, and that, that expenditure just continues to escalate, how much cash are they gonna have at the end of this? So those are the people that, that take the cash first. Uh, the remaining value goes to the other stakeholders um, in priority order. We've talked about priority capital stacks before, but uh, the pecking order, as I put it, but I, I don't think, as I recall, there's no secured creditors in this company. I don't think there are. I think there was, there was some PPA, PPSA registrations uh, Personal Property Security Act, so a, a registration as to secure creditors, but I don't think there's, they're all that material. The big deal is there's, there's some 16 to $20 million, as I saw, of unsecured creditors uh, being payables that are due, um, but there's $500 million in damages sought through these security class action suits. That's what this is about. This is about putting a stop uh, to the class action suits and putting a stop to the regulatory fines that I expect will be, everybody expects, will be substantial on this thing as against the company. And having a court say, okay, let's let's work out just a number on this and how it's gonna get paid uh, and to whom, okay? So, so after all that, uh, that was the cash, by the way, and I talked about, uh, I haven't talked yet about the greenhouse and they have some other assets. I expect what will happen, and it's a very fluid situation, but they'll go through a sales process uh, sales investment solicitation process, which means they'll put together a package. They'll send out a bunch of packages to you know strategic parties, financial parties, and they'll say, "Hey, do you want to do you want to buy this thing?" And but of course, it's unlicensed, and you can't transfer the license. And so, how much is a greenhouse with good security systems, presumably in place, really worth? There's certainly no value without the license. There's even questionable value, even if it had a license these days. So. You know, that's kind of a red herring. There's not much value that's gonna come out of that, in my opinion. So, after all that, why I went through that whole discussion, is there anything left for shareholders? And on the Martinis with Scott Show, we like to talk about shareholder value and how we improve that. If you're in trouble to make it better, if you're an entrepreneur and you're looking for high growth, how to improve the shareholder value, that to me is always the metric. And the answer is not much. Not much, which is why I've been short on this thing for a long time. Now, um, what would the end result be? I think the likely end result is nothing. Uh, it just sucks all the money up and it heads into bankruptcy and winds up and never comes back. That's the end result. If you were a betting person, that's probably what you should bet on. Bet on. If it were me, what would I try to do to save value for shareholders? Frankly, it would be a long shot, but I do what I told you ought to be done a couple of months ago which is I'd seek bankruptcy protection as they have done to put a stop to all of this because that's the only way to deal with those class action suits. I would seal it with that. I would take some of my limited funds. I would make an investment either before or right after, uh, probably before. I'd have to talk to legal counsel about that, but I'd make an investment in the space in, in branding or distribution, some area that needs cash 
where you know five or ten million dollars could go a long way and create a lot of value. Um, and I would I would look for a private company, maybe do an RTO into this thing when it's cleaned. Uh, I would change the name, obviously, and basically start over. You know, your one asset. You have two assets. You understand the cannabis business, presumably. Number one, and number two is. Uh, you have some cash, which is pretty scarce in the cannabis business right now. So take advantage of those two assets. That's how you would create a turnaround plan. Um, but it's a long shot. And it's a long shot because what happens in bankruptcy protection is all of these professionals start taking out their fees. Everybody has a, diff everybody has a different opinion. There's arguments and there's negotiations. And, and you end up with a compromise solution, which is what it's intended to be. Uh, but that compromise solution is never an aggressive, creative, what can we do best for shareholders type solution because nobody wants to take that risk. So it's what I would do, but it's it's not probably what's going to happen in this situation. All right, let's talk about, since we're talking about shareholders, uh, the stock uh, for sure gets delisted by New York, gets delisted by the TSX. Um, IROC has a, a cease trade on it right now. Now, I read somewhere that it's expected to be cease traded for good. I don't know if that's true. Um, it might be true. I'm not a, necessarily an expert in that. I would have thought there's all sorts of stocks trading over the counter in the U.S. and in Canada that do not have their filings up to date. So I don't, I don't know why this would be different. Um, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I think it, it would be grossly unfair to retail shareholders if you if they couldn't trade out of this thing or you know, make their bets, whatever they want to do. Um, but we'll see. And if somebody can correct me on that, great. And if not, maybe I'm going to phone around and try and find out the exact answer on that. All right. Uh, that's all I'm going to do on CanTrust. I think we're done. Unless something new and exciting happens here that I think is uh, useful for the mandate of the show, which is to win at business. Uh, the momentum on this thing is over. The direction is over. Now you have to be an insolvency guy to, you know, to really be interested in this. If you want to dig in further, go to the Ernst & Young Canadian website or just Google CanTrust Ernst & Young. Uh, you'll find the Ernst & Young web, uh, website. All of the all of the CCAA uh, court materials, like the affidavit, uh, the, the uh, uh, factums, uh, the, the court orders themselves, all of that is public information. It's on Ernst Young's site because they're the monitor on this thing, and in in the factum already, and it's only and there'll be more like coming out probably next week. But in the factum already, you can see balance sheet uh, information. Uh, although the company hasn't reported publicly in in forever, a long time, um, you can get an idea of who their creditors are, who's secured, uh, the story behind it, and just remember, it's a lot of paper but a lot of it is boilerplate. And so when they list, for example, they blame COVID-19 as one of the reasons they have to seek bankruptcy protection, which you know we know makes no sense whatsoever. Um, so a lot of it is boilerplate just to get it out there um, in front of the courts, but, uh, but there's a lot of information, a lot more than you've had before. And you, know, it's, you can rely on a lot of it. Um, there's fog of war in this, right? When you first go into bankruptcy protection, there's all sorts of you know, stuff flying around and nobody's quite sure what's going on and that ends up in the paperwork. But you can follow along on the Ernst Young website. It's a good thing to do. We're not going to cover it here, but good luck to you uh, 
if you're looking into if you're looking to research into that. And if you have any questions about this, feel free to offline in the comments or email me, and and uh, and I'm always interested in these things, so maybe I can help out. All right, uh, I think that's it for today. Didn't tend to spend 27 minutes on this, but it turns out I did. Uh, Martinis with Scott, a show about winning at business. Uh, intended for entrepreneurs, business owners, managers, directors. Uh, please, if you like the content, do us a favor and subscribe. We're on YouTube. You look at Martinis with Scott channel on YouTube, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. And thank you so much for listening.